0: Good morning. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Genesis chapter 9. It's really good to see you this morning. And uh, as we jump into Genesis 9, we're continuing on in our series called Beginnings. Uh, and it's called that because we see a lot of beginnings in Genesis. And as we come to our text today, we're seeing the beginning of all of the nations of the earth in the three sons of Noah. And so as we, uh, as we come to this text, um, we look again at another beginning. Let's read together Genesis 9, starting in verse 18, and we will go to the end of the chapter. The sons of Noah, who went forth from the ark, were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the people of the whole earth were dispersed. Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and walked backward and covered and let him dwell in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years. All the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. Whenever our almost two-year-old daughter, Selah, was first born, one of the first questions that everyone wanted to know, wanted to ask is, who did she take after even before she was born, people were trying to figure this out. We got the three D sonogram picture, and people looked at it, and they said, "Oh, I think she has Jeff's mouth, or whatever feature they may have seen in her." And uh, it's really amazing because uh, as she uh, was born, you know, she she uh, looked, uh, you know, on different days like one or the other of us. And each stage of life, she changes uh, how she, you know, who she looks like. It seems like uh, the more she grows up. And the cuter she gets, the more that people say that she looks like Alyssa. Uh, But like back when she was like a newborn and was in that kind of scrunchy alien looking phase, that's when everyone was like, she kind of looks like Jeff. So, anyway, what's she gonna do? But it really is remarkable uh, how much she looks like Alyssa. We, uh, over the Christmas holiday, uh, my in laws showed us some home videos of Alyssa when she was Selah's age. And my jaw about hit the floor when I saw how much Alyssa, as a two-year-old, looked like Selah as a two-year-old. I mean, it wasn't just her little blonde curls and her blue eyes. It was her mannerisms, her voice, her personality. It's amazing how much uh, your, who you came from affects how you are. Affects your personality, your face. And not just physical appearance, not just outward things, but even inward things. Who you came from and where you came from has had a tremendous influence on you. It's tremendously influential, and not just your family, but broader than that. Where you came from has a tremendous amount of humor. Maybe your sense of humor today was, uh, was shaped by the house that you grew up in and the things that were joked about and, uh, and were laughed about. Maybe you're a Cowboys fan today because you grew up in a Cowboys house and this is who we are. Uh, Maybe you grew up in a home where if you wanted something, you had to fight for it. And so today you're a fighter because you grew up shaped by this this, uh, culture where you had to fight for something if you were going to have it. Um, Maybe you came from a neighborhood that was really generous and uh, had everything in common, and you find yourself sharing and being naturally Genesis because you were shaped by that environment. who you come from and where you come from, your family, your neighborhood, your upbringing, they have tremendous amount of influence on you, and so I want to ask you a question I want you to consider this question today: Who do you take after? Who do you take after? As we come to this text, uh, like I said, we're seeing the sons of Noah, the fathers of all of the nations of the earth. If you're human on planet earth today, you came from Shem, Ham, or Japheth. These are the fathers of the families of the earth. And what we see in this scene is that the events of their lives set a trajectory for the nations that would come for them. The way that these sons of Noah were, these fathers of the family of the earth, the way that they lived their lives, the relationships they had, the actions that they took, had tremendous influence on the families that would come for them. So I want you to ask and consider this question as we walk through this text now. Who do you take after? Let's get into the text. So, so far in Genesis, we've seen God created perfect world. He created humans to be his image bearers, to know him and enjoy him forever, to show his love to their fellow image bearers. But man gave into sin, took matters into his own hand, didn't want God telling him what to do, and sinned against this God, bringing sin into the world, bringing brokenness along with it. And that brokenness led to more brokenness and corruption across the face of the earth to the point that God said, enough, I'm going to wipe out every living thing on the face of the earth except for one man and his family and representatives from all the animals on the earth. And he does exactly that. He has Noah and his family build this ark? He sends a flood to destroy every living thing on the earth that's not inside this ark, and he safely brings Noah and his family and the animals with them through that flood. And so, as we come to Genesis 9, we are, or the sons of Noah are starting from scratch. This is all of the humans that are on earth at this point, and they're setting precedent for what would come after them. They're setting trajectories for what would come after them. They are really experiencing a new beginning as humans. So let's look at this scene and consider uh, what we see here in this text. Verses 18 and 19 set the scene for us. So we have the characters that are introduced here in this scene. We've got Noah, who was the righteous and blameless one that God uh, instructed to build the ark. And then we have his sons. Specifically, this text draws our attention attention to the sons of Noah, Shem and Ham and Japheth. And Ham is the father of Canaan. Moses wants you to know that. That's going to be significant for where the story goes. And again, from, from these three, all of the people of the earth went. So we've got the setting. We've got the context of where we are and these characters that are going to be in this story. Then in verses 20 and 21, the action begins. So, Noah, like his father, or his ancestor, Adam, uh, was a man of the earth. He was a gardener, like Adam was. Specifically, he planted a vineyard. And he enjoyed the fruits of his labor. He enjoyed them a little bit too much. So much so that he fell into drunkenness. He gave control of himself over to this substance, and he became drunk. And he went into his tent, and he took off his clothes. And what we have is Noah taking after his father Adam. Yeah, he was a gardener like his father Adam, but he also took after Adam in sinning against God. And just like Adam before him, Noah ends up naked And ashamed. Well, so then verse 22 tells us that Ham comes into the tent, and Ham sees the nakedness of his father. Now, there's three ways in which Ham sins against his father here. First of all, that word saw, that's not just like an innocent, oh, I didn't know you were in here kind of glance. This is a gaze, an intentional gaze. It may be that Ham sees his father in this shameful condition and he takes pleasure in the fact that his father is in this shameful condition. Maybe it makes him feel better about himself that he sees his his father in this really vulnerable and weak place. Or it may be that something more perverse was going on, but what is clear is that this was not an accident, this was not innocent, it was an intentional gaze. The second thing that is a sin here is that Ham does nothing to improve his father's condition. He shows no compassion on his father who is there in his sin and his shame. His instinct in seeing his father is not to honor his father, but to enjoy, to take delight in his father's shame. So much so that third, instead of doing something to minimize his father's shame, he actually multiplies his father's shame by going and telling his brothers about what their father had done and the shameful condition that he found himself. In contrast to Ham and his immorality and his shameful behavior toward his father, we see then Shem and Japheth. Who, unlike their brother Ham, go in and do everything they can to honor their father, to clothe his shame. They take intentional steps. I mean, the text goes out of the way to say they did not look at his nakedness. They did nothing that would bring dishonor to their father. They walked backwards. They turned their heads away. They had the the garment on their shoulders so that as they walked in, they were able to cover their father's shame without bringing any dishonor, any shame. They had compassion on their father that led to wanting to improve his condition. So if Noah took after Adam in his sin against God and his being naked and ashamed. We see Shem and Japheth took after God, who covered Adam in his nakedness. Well, the climax of the scene really comes in verse 24 as Noah sobers up and he speaks. For the first time in the Bible, Noah speaks. It's the first time he speaks, but because it's so close to the end of his life, in a lot of ways, this kind of feels like his last will and testament. He's getting ready to die. He's old in age. And as he makes this declaration, as far as Scripture concerned, this is really his last will and testament. And so look at verse 25. Here's what Noah finally says, the first time in Scripture that Noah speaks. Verse 25, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants, shall he be to his brothers. Well, so Ham was the one who came in and sinned. Ham's the father of Canaan, we're told twice in the text. Why, why does Canaan get the curse when Ham was the one who sinned against his father? Well, it's not totally clear from this text what, uh, why Noah directs this at Canaan. But what's very likely is that the reason why Noah said curse to be Canaan is because he saw that Canaan took after his father, Ham. Ham had other sons, but Noah singles out Canaan. Twice, also in this text, we're told by Moses, Ham was the father of Canaan. He wants to drill that home to us. And it's very likely that what's going on there is not just a biological statement that Ham was the father of Canaan, but that it was a moral connection between Ham and Canaan. We could say that Canaan took after his father. We could say the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. What's definitely clear is that the Canaanites, the people who came from Canaan, absolutely took after their ancestor, Ham. And so it's very likely that if that's the case, then the Canaanites were also taking after Canaan. In any, in any uh In any case, Moses, as he's writing this story and deciding to include this in Genesis, he looked back and he saw the connection. He knew the Canaanites. He knew their behavior, and he saw that Noah was right to pronounce a curse on Canaan because he was looking at the trajectory of where these descendants would go, how these descendants would take after their ancestor. And so what we need to see here is that what's going on is not a cursing the son for the father's sin. But Noah and Moses are seeing that the legacy of Canaan would be cursed if the behavior continues. The behavior of the ancestor. The curse. It's very important that that we see this in the text and that we see this as scripture continues. The curse is connected to the sin. The curse is connected to the sin. So then in verse 26, Noah goes on and he says, Blessed be the Lord, or Yahweh, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. Well, so why does Noah bless Yahweh, not Shem himself? Why does he bless Yahweh? Well, notice that phrase, the God of Shem. That is covenant language. Whenever God made a covenant with Abraham, he said, I will be your God. When God made a covenant with Israel, he said, I will be your God. To be not just a God or the God, but your God was was covenant language. And so by blessing Yahweh, Noah was blessing Shem. Shem was blessed through his relationship to Yahweh. And then look at verse 27 as well. Noah goes on also to speak about Japheth. He says, may God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem and let Canaan be his servant. Uh, That word enlarge is actually a play on the name Japheth. Japheth kind of sounds like the same word as enlarge. Noah is calling uh, for Japheth to be prospered by God, to be blessed by God. But notice, uh, whereas Shem was blessed directly through his relationship, his covenant relationship with Yahweh, Japheth would be blessed indirectly. Through his relationship with Shem. He says, Let him dwell in the tents of Shem. Japheth would receive the blessing of the Lord through, indirectly, through Shem and his relationship to him. Then the story concludes in verses 28 and 29, telling us uh, that Noah lived 350 years after the flood and died at the ripe old age of 950. So, in summary, Noah fell into sin and shame. Ham, the father of Canaan, delights in Noah's shame, but Shem and Japheth show compassion on their father, and they cover his shame. So Noah curses Canaan, but he blesses Shem through his covenant relationship with Yahweh, and he blesses Japheth through Shem. So as we think about this story, I want to come back to that question that I asked you at the beginning. Who do you take after? Who do you take after? The original audience of this book, Genesis, Israel, wandering in the wilderness, getting ready to enter into the promised land. This is a concept that would have been on their minds. This idea of taking after someone. Taking after our ancestors. First of all, uh, what probably the connections that would have immediately come to mind for the nation of Israel as they heard this story is a preview of the relationship and some of the things that God told Abraham in Genesis 12. Flip over there just a couple of pages to Genesis chapter 12 and verse 3. I want you to see some of these connections here. As Yahweh makes a covenant with Abraham and enters into this Relationship. He says in verse 3 of chapter 12 to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham is blessed through Yahweh and his covenant relationship. We see curse come as a result of dishonoring, and we see that families of the earth are blessed. Indirectly through Abraham, who is in a covenant with Yahweh. Well, that really previews what we, or uh, the Genesis 9 really previews Genesis chapter 12 in that connection. We see Shem blessed through his covenant relationship with Yahweh. We see Canaan cursed because of the dishonor that he showed, uh, or that Ham showed through uh, to Noah. And then we see the families, just as the families of the earth would be blessed through Abraham, so Japheth and his family would be blessed through Shem, who is in a relationship, a covenant relationship with Yahweh. So there's a connection there. But then also, if you're Israel in the wilderness, getting ready to come into the promised land, this story would have been massively significant because the land that God promised them is the land of Canaan. It was the land of Canaan that God swore to give to this nation. And so it would have been massively significant for Israel there in the wilderness to know that their ancestor was Shem, who was in a covenant relationship with Yahweh and who was blessed by his father Noah. And it would have been massively significant to know that this land that God had promised them that had belonged to Canaan, well, Canaan was cursed. And these people that they were going to go drive out from that land had had a curse on them. So this would have been massively significant for Israel. But there also would have been a danger in that for Israel. A danger that this text corrects. The danger for Israel is to look at this blessing and this curse and think that their origin determines their destiny. And that's a danger that we face as well. Assuming that my origin determines my destiny. What they needed to see in this text, and what I try to draw out for us, is that the curse is connected to the sin. Not the person, not the family. The curse is connected to the sin. Israel might have thought, "Wow, well, you know, we're a blessed people. They're a cursed people. We're better than them. It's ours. This is our destiny. But what they needed to see is that the curse was connected to the sin, not to the people. Flip over to Leviticus chapter 18. The reason why this was so significant for Israel to understand that origin does not determine your destiny is because Israel was not immune from going the way of Canaan. Just because of where they came from, just because they came from this line of Shim, that doesn't mean that they were immune from going the way of Canaan. And what we see is that the Canaanites, and <coughs> their behavior, were connected to their ancestor, Ham, and the particular immorality that he was guilty of. And likewise, the curse on the Canaanites was connected to the way that they took after their ancestor. And it was something that Israel was in danger of taking after as well. Look at Leviticus chapter 18 and what the Lord says to Moses, starting in verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord, your God. You shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt where you lived, and you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan to which I am bringing you. Notice the emphasis on their, what they do, their behavior, their action. You will not walk in their statutes. Verse 4, you shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord, your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. None of you shall approach any one of his close relatives to uncover nakedness. I am the Lord. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father, which is the nakedness of your mother. She is your mother. You shall not uncover her nakedness. You notice that connection between the exact sin of Ham and the connection between what God is saying the Canaanites were guilty of. Don't do these things that they do in the land Israel. And then look at what he says in verse um, in verse 24. Do not make yourselves unclean by any of these things, for by all these things, the nations I am driving out before you have become unclean. The Canaanites were cursed because they took after the sin of of their father, not just because who they were, but because they took after the sin of their father, and Israel needed to know if they took after Canaan, their fate would be the same as canaan's. they were not immune. Look at Leviticus eighteen in the uh, verses twenty six through twenty eight but you, Israel, shall keep my statutes and my rules and do none of these abominations. Either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you, for the people of the land who were before you did all these abominations, so that the land became unclean. Verse 28 Lest the land vomit you out when you make it unclean, as it vomited out the nation that was before you. This nation that is about to be driven out is driven out because they followed in the footsteps of Ham. And he says to Israel, You are not immune. If you go the way of Canaan, if you take after Canaan, you will be driven out of the land just like they were. Origin does not determine destiny. And like Israel needed a right view of where they came from and who they came from, we need a right view of who we came from and where we came from. We need to know whether we came from someplace good or someplace bad. Your origin does not determine your destiny. Now, there's two sides to that. Let's say you came from a good family. That's wonderful. And that is tremendously influential on you. But you don't have it made. Israel came from a good family. But that in and of itself didn't determine their destiny. That in and of itself did not mean that they had it made. Maybe you grew up in a great family that... Where your parents brought you to church and they taught you right from wrong. And you had the Bible open every day. And you had this great influence that shaped you in a positive way. Maybe your parents knew Jesus and loved Jesus and pointed you to him. Well, you need to know that that doesn't mean that you haven't made Just because your parents knew Jesus, that doesn't mean that you know Jesus. Just because you came from a good family, that doesn't make you that way. It's tremendously influential, but you need to know that you need to be redeemed. You need a redeemer. You need to repent of sin and trust in Jesus for yourself so that you can come to know God in a personal way. Your parents' relationship with Jesus is no substitute for your relationship with Jesus. You need to be redeemed. What if you came from a bad family? What if you came from uh, a place that was a negative influence on you? Maybe you never saw godliness modeled before you. Maybe you've never seen an example of how to live right. Maybe your habits and your inclinations, your instincts have been shaped negatively. Maybe you think that you have an uphill climb that's insurmountable and that you're doomed to repeat the sins of your parents. You're doomed because of the place that you came from. You need to know that you are redeemable. Your origin does not determine your destiny. And this was true even for the Canaanites. They were redeemable too. As Israel goes into the promised land, the first town that they come to that God tells them to conquer is the town of Jericho. They get to this town and they send two spies into Jericho in order to check out and survey the, uh, the town. And these two spies come across a prostitute named Rahab. If anyone could be justified in thinking that she's not redeemable, It's a Canaanite prostitute. But this Canaanite prostitute, Rahab, trusted Yahweh, feared Yahweh. She helped these spies. And in so doing, she expressed her faith in Yahweh. And when Israel went in and they drove out and destroyed Jericho, there was one family who was saved. And it was Rahab, the Canaanite prostitute. If she can be redeemed, you can be redeemed. And not only was she and her family saved, Rahab married an Israelite, and they had a son named Boaz, who married a Moabite named Ruth. From them eventually came King David. From them eventually came King Jesus, the ultimate offspring of Abraham, through whom the families of the earth would be blessed. Through a Canaanite prostitute. Imagine the home that she grew up in. Imagine the family that she came from. Imagine how much despair she had associated with her origin and what she thought could never be true for her, the dreams that she never thought could be fulfilled for her. You are redeemable no matter where. You came from. So whether you're from a good family. And you need to know. You need to be redeemed. Or whether you're from a bad family. You need to know you can be redeemed. So how do we come to this redeemer? How do we experience the redemption of Jesus? How do we experience his salvation? Well we come like Japheth. Japheth was told that he would be blessed by dwelling in the tents of Shem. It would be through Shem and Shem's connection to Yahweh that Japheth would be blessed. Shem had an offspring named Abraham. And through Abraham's offspring, God said, all of the families of the earth would be blessed. And that offspring, we're told in Galatians 3.16, was Christ. We can experience The salvation of of knowing God, we experience the salvation that comes from God through Jesus Christ. Just like Japheth experienced the blessing of God through Shem, we come to God through Jesus Christ. The offspring is Christ, we're told in Galatians 3.16. And Jesus himself said in John 14.6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the ultimate offspring of Shem who brings us, invites us into his tents of blessing so that we can come to know God through him. Whatever family you came from, you need to know that you can be adopted into a new family. And you need to be adopted into a new family. Listen to what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. You can be adopted into God's family through Jesus Christ. Or Paul writes in Romans 8 and verse 29, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he, Christ, might be the firstborn among many brothers. You can be adopted into God's family through Christ. You can be blessed in his tents if you come to the Father through Jesus, the Son. And how did Jesus bless us? How did he bring us into these tents of blessings? How did he make it so that we could come to know God in a personal way? How could he make it so that we could have eternal life? came to us in our sin, in our shame. He left his place of honor and he came low to those of us who, like Noah, had sinned and were in a shameful condition. Vulnerable, embarrassed, lowly. And Jesus didn't take pleasure in our shame. He looked on us with compassion. And he took us in the most dishonorable, at our worst, at our most shameful, and he lifted us up. He covered our shame. He went to the cross and he took our sin and he covered himself in that sin. He took our shame and he covered himself. And he, he hung there, nailed on a cross, naked and ashamed and covered in sin and receiving the full wrath of God. So that sinful, shameful people like you and me could be lifted up out of our shame and out of our sin and come into his tent of blessing forever. That's how Jesus can redeem you. That's how Jesus can adopt you. He took your place so that you can come with him to his place. So, if we have been adopted into this family, if we've had our sin and shame covered by the grace of Jesus, if he has brought us into his tent of blessing, who do you take after? If you've been brought into the family of God, adopted by the Father through Jesus the Son, we should take after our Heavenly Father. We should take after our older brother, Jesus. Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 5 and verses 1 and 2, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So let's consider a specific way that we should take after our Father, our Heavenly Father. A specific way we should take after Jesus. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 25. just read from Ephesians 5 we should walk in love as Christ loved us we should take after Christ in the way that he loved us that's how we should love others well listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 25 starting in verse 31 and going to verse 40 when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him then he will sit on his glorious throne before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people, one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. To one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. The way that Christ loved us was coming down to us when we were the least of these, when we were in sin and shame and showing compassion on us, covering us, exalting us, even though we didn't deserve honor. So we need to ask, how do we treat the one who's in sin? How do we treat the one who is in shame? How do we treat the one who is the least of these? It is easy for us to exalt ourselves over the person who is in sin and shame. It's easy for us to think like the tax collector, or excuse me, like the Pharisee did when he looked at the tax collector and say, God, thank you that I'm not like other men. it's, It's easy for us to think, kind of like it would have been for Israel. Well, you know, it's a shame that he didn't grow up in the same kind of family I did. I sure am blessed that I grew up in a great family, and so I'm a good person, and, you know, too bad for him. It's easy for us to exalt ourselves over the sin and shame of someone. It's easy for us even to exalt ourselves over someone in sin and shame when we're trying to help that person. You know, maybe we're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be a good person, and I'm going to help this person. He's in, a, he's in a rough place. He's in a lowly position. And uh, man, I'm so good for doing this. It's easy for us to, even in the name of helping someone, do so with a condescending attitude as if I'm better than this other person. But if we want to take after our older brother Jesus, if we want to take after our heavenly father, we will approach the least of these with humility and compassion. We will see not someone under us, but someone who is just like us. We'll see ourselves. We'll see we're the same. Wherever you came from, whatever condition you're in, we're the same. And as those who are in Christ, those who know the, off, the offspring of Abraham through whom the families of the world would be blessed, we need to look at that person in sin and shame and invite them to Christ. Invite them to receive the blessing in the tent of Shem, the tent of Jesus. Invite them into the relationship with Yahweh that can lift them up out of that, that can help them get out of their sin, help them get out of their shame, that can help cover them through the blood of Jesus. So for those of us who have received that covering of Jesus. For those of us who have, who were lowly and were exalted by Jesus, the one who lowered himself and took on the form of a servant, may we show that same love to others. May we take after Jesus. So you need to know wherever you came from, your family's not so good that you don't need to be redeemed. You need to be redeemed. But your family's not so bad that you can't be redeemed. There is a redeemer who comes to the lowest of lows and covers their shame. And all of us who have come into his tent of blessing, may we invite more into his tent of blessing. That more people might experience the covering of Jesus and the blessing of Yahweh. Let's pray together. Father, it's an amazing thing that no matter where we came from, no matter what our family, that we can be adopted by you in Christ. And so, Lord, I pray that as we see your gospel, the good news of what you have done for us in Jesus Christ, that we would be drawn to you. Lord, if there is anyone in this room who has never trusted in Jesus, who has never been adopted and experienced the covering of their sin and shame, experienced forgiveness of sin and life everlasting, I pray that they would trust in you today, that they would let go of their sin, let go of trying to save themselves, let go of their ego, let go of their reputation, let go of the things that they're holding on to and receive your free gift of salvation in Christ by faith. And Lord, I pray for those of us who have been adopted. I pray that, Lord, your word has penetrated our hearts today and that we have been blown away by your love for us. And Lord, I pray that we would walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. Lord, be honored in our lives. And Lord, as we respond to you in worship now, I pray that we would cherish this gospel that we have just heard. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.